All right, we are back here in the Vactiverse with my good friend, Mr. William Goodman, who you've seen before in the Vactiverse. But I wanted to get him on specifically on this episode because he has some hot takes on Twitter after he saw The Flash. Mr. William Goodman, first of all, welcome back to the Vactiverse, my friend. Hello, buddy. I am uh, not unlike Barry Allen. I am uh, I am away from my home on, on assignments. Uh, so we're... <laughs> We spent some time working through some some technical difficulties to to bring this episode to you all today, but uh, we're here, and it is time for me to uh, earn my Hater of the Year award because <laughs> no, I, I I don't want to be um, I don't want to be disrespectful to people who who legitimately enjoyed the Flash, but um, I cannot say that I enjoyed my time watching this movie. Well, what I really like is this film is from what I've seen, super polarizing. And I think that's, there's, there's pros and cons to that, but I like it where it's not just all universal praise or all universal hate. There's kind of an in-between there. So I want you to represent um, one side of that coin and I'm not necessarily going to represent the other side, but I do have, I think a more positive take than yours. So first off you saw it um, before I did. So I want to get, your initial um, experience with the movie? Like, how did you see it? And what was your uh, initial response when you walked out of that theater? So wait, do we want to give a quick summary of the movie to, to folks who are maybe oh, know, yes. in their YouTube algorithm and, and yes. maybe are inclined to click on it? So The Flash is uh, directed by Andy Machete of It fame, written by Laura Hobson. Uh, and it is kind of the, it's the the last movie kind of pending Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom this fall of the Snyderverse in this phase of the DC Extended Universe and focuses on Barry Allen, played by Ezra Miller, who decides to travel back in time in order to save his mother from being murdered, the kind of inciting heroic incident of his childhood, after which his father was wrongfully accused of doing, and by doing so creates a world without metahumans. And that is kind of the basic structure of the movie. Now, it's far more complicated than that because there are a bunch of wrinkles, most of which you have probably seen in the movie's marketing, which I I think we'll probably touch on that a little bit. But that is the basic premise, is that Barry goes back in time and resets the universe in the process. It's loosely inspired by the 2011 Flashpoint comic series written by Jeff Johns, drawn by Andy Kubert, which was kind of a way to completely reimagine reset the dcu comic book universe <clears throat> for you know a period of time before that was eventually uh walked back to to incorporate a speed pun here already the first of many perhaps and uh but this this was a seminal flash event in the comic books and so for this movie uh that is the source text which they used for uh, kind of the overall inspiration of the movie that being said before I dive in, I, Justin, I'm I'm really curious to hear what about this works for you because I saw your uh, Instagram review, video review. I think you put up on your stories. We didn't think it was bad, but you didn't think it was great either. So I think we should maybe start this off on a more positive note before I I kind of break down some of my real frustrations with this. Yeah. So what I was saying in my uh, early review was I had flashes of brilliance and those flashes to me 
were the fun elements of it. And that's specifically going opposed to all the Snyderverse, like the dark, grim and gritty DC movies. That's what I loved about Shazam, I think, so much um, before this. It was a lighthearted, like, fun. And even in that opening sequence, you get a lot of that humor, a lot of the, um, like... It's setting up. He's he's at the starting line. The Flash logo's coming up, and then the girls attack. Flash, Flash! That break, that comedy break, to me, in in, in um, is indicative of the film. The rest of the film, where you have these like serious moments, and then the the comedy comes in to break it up. Um, also, when he cleans up his apartment, and then everything falls out. Like just there's the setup, and then the punchline of all the jokes. So. I think the fun and the funny is what I liked about the movie the most. Um, a lot of it was Ezra Miller's take on the character because you and I both know this is not Barry Allen from the comic books. This is a separate Barry. And I actually would like to ask your opinion on that. Um, do you like this version of Barry? Did you like him in the previous Snyder movies or is this too far away from the comics for you? So I think that <laughs> The Ezra Miller performance, I think, is one of the issues that I have with mm. the film. So my my issues with the movie, I think, some of which I think we'll have to discuss kind of in the spoiler section of this, and mm -hmm. then others I think I can talk more generally about. I do think a lot of my frustrations come from the fact that this Ezra Miller performance just fundamentally does not work for me. Mm. Uh, it's It's... Even if you don't bring in the outside baggage that Ezra Miller has, which for those unaware, it's very extensive. Uh, you know, there were some grooming allegations. There, he ostensibly choke slammed a fan <laughs> in Europe. Um, there were other more heinous allegations about that he was, excuse me, they were potentially. Uh, holding some uh, a, a mother and a child hostage, and that child was around drugs and also maybe a weapon of some sort, if I remember correctly. So the the outside influences upon Ezra's performance makes it a little bit more. There's not enough of the performance doesn't work well enough for me mm. personally, I think to kind of excuse some of that outside behavior, not right. that we should to begin with. The fundamental right. problem is that it takes a very, without giving too much away, Barry ends up when he goes back, when Barry goes back into time, and this is in the trailers, this is in the marking, this is in the spoiler, there ends up being a dual Ezra, Moore, Ezra Miller performance. in they as performers just don't have the natural born charisma, in my opinion, to pull that dual performance off in a very satisfying and deeply and engaging way for me personally. Mm. That takes, I, you know, I have heard on other podcasts, the, the name that was kind of thrown around for that. Some of that has that affable charm to kind of pull off a performance like that would be somebody like Tom Hanks, right? And Tom uh, Hanks, I right. think has that kind of charisma, but Tom Hanks maybe not, doesn't maybe not have the sort of, Tom Hanks doesn't look like a superhero, right? Even when he right, was in his right. big days or his younger right. days or his Forrest Gump days. Right. Ezra looks like a superhero, but I just don't think that sort of nervy energy that they bring to the performance. One, I, I don't think it's certainly the Barry Allen that we know from either the Flash television series 
certainly from the handful of episodes of Justice League cartoon that I've had to see, or even how Jeff Johns, who I think is one of, along with Mark Wade, probably one of the seminal Flash writers, that doesn't read like Barry. Ezra's performance does not read like Barry Allen to me. Right. It's this different Snyderverse version, but even then, I think it's a little bit more, at least in Justice League, there is kind of this like stoicism to the Ezra performance that is then mm. kind of undercut with this fanboy energy that is, I think, reminiscent a little bit of what Tom Holland has brought to the Spider-Man performance. Yes. I find the tonal balance in the Snyder Cut a little bit better than what we get here, which I think mm. tips the scale far more into kind of an annoying version gotcha. of the character that I personally just... When Ezra is performing some of those leather physical bits of comedy or actual like joke sequences, one, I don't think the the setup punchline of those jokes are particularly funny. I didn't really laugh in this movie with the exception of uh, one moment featuring a bat-shaped kite, which is more <laughs> of just like a, a guffaw than it was like an actual kind of belly laugh. <laughs> I just I, I don't again, for me personally, I don't think the jokes were something that worked particularly well. Um you know, the baby shower sequence that you referenced at the very beginning. This was also brought up on another podcast, I think is a way to kind of try and elevate or differentiate. It's hard to do a slow-mo speed sequence in the wake of the Quicksilver sequences. Yeah. I think this was them trying to top that by adding babies into it. But mm. as a parent with a young child... Was we're seeing children in peril? Was that not yes. was that a bridge too far for you personally as a parent? Not for me, but I know uh, I saw it again uh, a, a couple of days ago with my wife, and I think it was for her because I she audibly gasped when there were babies in peril and the dog that was in peril. Um, yeah, I I was kind of just laughing at the absurdity of it. But I think my sure. wife definitely had an issue there. And I, and before we go on, I did want to say um, if there's anyone out there that is not wanting to support this movie because of Ezra Miller, I don't think we have, we don't look down on you. We don't find anything wrong. It's your choice um, to su not support the art that Ezra Miller has made and not give him any support. So we understand that uh, we do want to uh, recognize that, but also uh, look at the film on its own. And I, I, I am aware of all of the Ezra Miller background uh, baggage, but I'm trying to just focus on the movie and what is on the screen before us. So just wanted to put that out there. So sure. um, we should also, we should also clarify, and I got tripped on this at the very beginning, but Ezra does, does use they, them pronouns. So yes, just for correct. audiences um, um, to, to be aware. So yes. Yeah. I, I think, it, you know, it's one of those things that, now we're at a point where if you want to opt out of art based upon kind of the 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 public environment mm -hmm. outside of right. which the art, I, I certainly right. don't fault anybody for doing that. Very, very understandable. Just in the same way that you may opt out of a movie because an individual performer, you don't necessarily connect to their performance or enjoy their acting style. I think that is, you know, that's totally approachable. You know, there are people that, <clears throat> for example, don't really like, Wes Anderson's movies because of the visual mm. aesthetic that he has in those movies, right? That's a personal choice. I don't fault people one way or another for deciding to see this movie because of Ezra Miller or not saying just whatever it's, you know, 
as the the letterbox review I had to this movie is that this movie then didn't have the decency not to waste my time, uh, <laughs> which is funny for a movie that is so obsessed with time. You know, if you right. decide that your time is too precious not to see this movie, that is well within your regard. You know, as a working professional <clears throat> whose beat is related to franchise entertainment, I unfortunately was unable to opt out from seeing this film. <laughs> I really would have liked to have avoided seeing that, especially because you, know, you brought this up just at, at the very beginning. But you know, I was at a completely full press screening for this in Washington D.C. at a movie theater uh, whose AC was not working. So I, you know, Ooh. not initially kind of like the best theatrical experience mm. upon which to see this. You know, I would that did not you know play a role in my overall enjoyment of the film. You know, my inherent frustration again I think boils down to the the Ezra Miller performance. The mm. the script I think in the later portion it again relies very heavily on that double Ezra act that I just don't think right. again that they as a performer have the gravitas to pull off. And then once they start, once the movie starts to introduce the Michael Keaton version of Batman and the Sasha Kale version of Supergirl, I think it becomes slightly more compelling. But then there are decisions made with regards to both of those characters that I just find very perfunctory. And I, mm. I find very, I understand on one level, but also just structurally, I don't quite understand why those decisions were made. If we're supposed to invest so much time in caring about those characters and then the fate of those characters unfold the way in which they do. Right. I also don't think that for being, I think, like a pretty important part of the second act, Sasha Kale does not have a ton to do in this movie and I think right. is extremely underused. And I don't think she gets to do much outside of playing like a very one note version. This is this version of Supergirl had an opportunity to be like a really exciting, bold new direction. And I realized part of that has gone away because of these shifting priorities around what the DC cinematic universe is going to look like. Because of that, this whole movie kind of falls into this very strange, weird lame duck era of DC mm. movies where it's like, how are we kind of supposed to care about these movies if we know that they're not going to be relevant moving forward? And right. I think that the ending doubles down on that in a really yes. frustrating yep. way, in a way that I think is kind of insulting if you were really invested in this movie emotionally. Technically, you know, I also have some frustrations. All, a lot of superhero movies nowadays, I think, are... have to follow a certain formula. And a lot of that formula really involves like a CGI heavy third act. And I think the CGI execution of some of the things in this movie is very, very muddled, looks bad. And I know Andy Machete has come out and said that it's supposed to look like that. And I find that very frustrating to to, <laughs> to hear that, where it's like, so you wanted your movie to look bad? Like, that's, to me, that's how those visuals come across, right? Like, and I know right. that there are CGI superhero movies that are capable of looking good. You know, I think the CGI in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, you know, Rocket Raccoon is an entirely CGI character who looks like a real talking raccoon, right? right. And I know when you do it, it works well. And then you have something on, and The Flash is not this movie, for example, right? But you look at something like Avatar, and then you look at something like The Flash, and it's like, I don't understand how these two are even playing in the same ballpark. And maybe they're not, right? Maybe you're comparing apples to oranges, but at the end of the day, it's still a fruit. So right. I think that is some of, so 
that is kind of where I sit with some of these things. Yeah, there's so many interesting things about this movie uh, in the background of this was supposed to be a continuation of Justice League and like a spinoff. And then, like you said, continuing the world of that Snyderverse and the, the DCEU. And I have the same frustrations as you watching it. I was enjoying it and I was trying to put myself into that timeline of what if the Snyderverse was continuing? What if this movie came out two years ago when it was supposed to come out? Not even and, two years ago. This movie was announced in 2014 to come out in 2018. That's insane. And, it's been almost a decade since this movie was first announced and now is just now coming to realization. And this is the form in which it has since arrived in. Like, I cannot imagine what the graphics looked like. CG, what the CGI looks like two years ago when this movie right. was technically complete, right? Versus what it right. is now. Like, right. That's that's where we got to after an extra two years of working on this. And you know, I right. had the same frustrations with something like She-Hulk, right? Like She-Hulk was delayed a little bit and it's like it got delayed and it still looks like this. Anyway. Right. I don't want to bring and, other – I want to try and keep it <laughs> flash focused yeah. where I can. But Well, even – like Black Adam, like I, I had that same frustration of it was announced 10 years ago. It was announced, you know, how long ago? And in my mind, I've been building it up, building it up. First of all, Flash is one of my favorite characters of all time. So going into it, I already had huge expectations. And I enjoyed the Flash version that we got in Justice League and the Snyder Cut specifically. But like you said, the buildup and then this is what we got. It just felt a little bit like a letdown. Like I said, I was trying to put myself back in the timeline and say, okay, what if this came out a few years ago? But comparing it, this movie has very bad timing. It comes on the heels of, like you said, Guardians 3, but the biggest looming threat over it is across the Spider-Verse. And we just saw that like not too long ago. And if you compare those... Two two weeks ago. Yeah. um, yeah, so I interrupted. I'm sorry. Uh, this oh, this no is worries. also. I'm glad you brought this up. This is this is also a point that I want. I wanted to compare, kind of slightly touch on comparing these two movies too. But I'll I'll let you finish. I apologize. Yeah. Well, the CG is is the big thing. It's like the across the Spider Verse. Now, number one, that's an animated film, so their focus is on animation. But if you look at the animation in there, which looks revolutionary, and then you go to this Flash, specifically the baby scene. And then once we get into spoilers, some of the other scenes near the end, and it just looks like a cinematic, like a a a two thousand so twenty ten video game cutscene is what it looks like to me, and it just I I find it hard to believe that they cut Batgirl, they just completely killed Batgirl, and then they just never I felt like they didn't finish the CG, Um, even though the director is saying otherwise, I feel like they. At some point, they just had to cut it, and they couldn't go back to working on it. I, like I said, I don't have anything uh, – I don't know anything specifically, but it just feels like they they just didn't have the time and the resources to finish the visual effects. But not only which is, the CG – oh, go ahead. Which is crazy to me because this movie is reportedly cost $220 million to make. Right, right. Yeah, so I don't know where the, the budget is going. But not only the CG, but the multiversal – aspect of across the spider-verse like i said it it's just very unfortunate timing that this movie comes out so close because across the spider-verse is a far superior movie and when we look back on 2023 it's going to be hard for me to put flash you know on on a very positive uh note in my mind after 
all the movies that uh, we've gotten so far and then I think that are coming out for the rest of this year, I think a lot of stuff down the pipe is going to be better uh, specifically. So, yeah, it's, I think, just unfortunate timing for when this movie comes out, but we have to kind of judge what we got at this point in time in 2023. Um, the Spider-Verse point is something, again, I'm, I'm hesitant to make continue to make this metaphor but i think it's apps you know spider-verse and flash is an apples to oranges comparison but it's it, they're still playing in the same genre yes and i think they chart very similar stories they are exploring the the overarching themes i think and even even some of the actual plot details are very mm -hmm. similar in terms of who you're allowed to say versus who you're not allowed to say right. and, and what happens when you do or do not do those things, right? The way that Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse, I think, did a better job of making me have an emotional connection to Miles' story and specifically mm. his relationship to his yes. parents. Yes. And what amounts to maybe two scenes versus, I think, the three to four that we get with Flash. And again, part of my disconnect there is me not buying into the the success of this movie your enjoyment of this movie i think really absolutely hinges upon that ezra miller performance if you buy in i think those emotional scenes between barry and his mother those will hit you like a ton of bricks if you are very invested in that performance if you are not they're going to feel they're just not going to work and those are the things that i think the movie really, really hinges on those big emotional moments. And if you're not invested in the performance, it's hard to then be invested in those, which then in turn makes it very, very difficult, I think, to wrap your arms around the movie and in any sort of enjoyable way, right? Right. Spider-Verse, I think, I am invested in those characters. But even then, with Spider-Verse, there is, which is funny considering it's a movie with so many different Spider-People, right? Mm -hmm. There is a less is more quality to that movie they don't mm. need to kind of berate you over the top with these big emotional moments between Miles and his mother. You get two really great scenes with it, and that's all they need. It's There's an economic, there's a brevity of storytelling there where it's like, we can just do these two scenes really, really well, and that's all that we need. And we mm. can let, there's enough trust there that they can make those moments impactful. So it's very, very difficult to go from watching that to watching this, which again are so similar in so many different ways, and just see one work very, very well and one work not so well the other. And and so again, did you, as somebody that enjoyed it a little bit more, did, did those big emotional moments between Barry and his mom, did those work for you? They did, and I think the reason is the mother, the actress that plays the mother, I thought was was fantastic, and. I was able to replace Ezra Miller with myself and put myself in the character's shoes where what if my mom, what if I lost my mom? I didn't see her for 18 years or whatever it is. And then I'm seeing her again for the first time. So I had that kind of visceral reaction of, Oh man, what if that, and you know, I'm someone who is close to my parents and that just um, the loss of the mother in that situation. And I also had my wife next to me who I, I'm, I'm also thinking about these movies differently now as a father and as a parent myself. And so across mm -hmm. Spider-Verse was the same way where I was looking at miles as my son and mm -hmm. 
wanting to protect him, wanting to take care of him. The same way with, I think, Ezra Miller and, and The Flash, I, I put myself in the shoes of Barry, but then also I was looking at it from the parent's point of view and saying, like, this is my son, and and he wants to uh, recapture those those moments with me and that time with me. And then I think you're right, 100%. The performance of Ezra Miller is crucial. The other, I would say maybe like a 60 40 the the 40 is michael keaton because mm -hmm. my wife every ounce of enjoyment she got from the movie was michael keaton and she left the theater thinking she she told me she said that was a batman movie i don't care i didn't care about the flash i cared about michael keaton i cared about batman and i think that is an interesting uh aspect of the film because and i i cover this a little bit in my um my non-spoiler review when you're looking at things with nostalgia glasses and you're saying i liked him in that other thing he was in and so that's carrying me into this movie if you're just looking at michael keaton and the batman performance in this movie it's very similar like what you said with sasha kale he's underutilized and he like he's in it for such a short period of time i don't even know why it had to be Michael Keaton. Why couldn't it have been Ben Affleck? And he was an older version of the Batman character. The only reason he's Michael Keaton is because we as an audience had that emotional connection to the Batman, the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie and Batman Returns. And so half of me like loves that. Half of me is like, ah, I don't want to give it a pass just because of nostalgia, just because I enjoyed Michael Keaton as Batman in the other movies. What about this movie in, in the flash, his character is like, like you said, like with Supergirl, there's like almost no arc to them. They have such a minuscule arc. There's none. The, the only I Keaton is good. I don't think he's great. I, to me, that is also, I think if I enjoy one element of the movie, I think it is the Keaton performance, but at the same time, it is a hundred percent trading on the nostalgia that you have from Batman 89 to the point where if you don't have a deep love or appreciation or connection to that Keaton character, his arc here, or even understanding like why we should care about him really right. is totally dependent upon that investment. And I think that's a lazy writing. I don't, I don't yeah. think that's compelling. I think that is, if I have to, if the only enjoyment that I can get out of this character is totally dependent upon another movie entirely that came out in 1989 and i can't enjoy the character on its own and that character doesn't have a full complete arc within the course of this movie in and of itself that's a problem mm -hmm. and to me that is just that's a fundamental issue i think of the script and i think the script is i think part of what i, I think some of the major problems of the, the movie is is that it just there's not enough there there for keaton for kale to and honestly even for general zod and Hmm, right, Michael Shannon. Right. I hope I hope the Lake House, my dude guy, is great because he is just like he's absolutely phoning it in. And God bless him. Michael Shannon should actually be able to just take a paycheck job and not worry about it because right. that dude is like one of our best actors. Yeah. Um, and you know I, I've seen him in things like Take Shelter where he's absolutely magnificent, right? But he is he is definitely he's punching a time clock here. Oh, um, yeah. 
hundred percent. Which I, I don't I don't begrudge him at all. Get that money, King. I love it. But it's <laughs> but if you're asking for if you're asking audiences to invest in something as weighty as Michael Keaton's Batman, you need to give him a bit more of an arc. And there's there's just not there's not anything there that I think you can really latch on to without having seen what's come before. And I realize that like we're kind of treading in a bit of the Marvel area here as well. Um like Marvel things have certainly done this where it's like you know, you have to kind of, but I still, some of those Marvel movies do a better job, I think, of making sure that even within the course of that movie itself, they do, these characters still do have an arc to invest in. Mm-hmm. Like, take Nebula in Endgame, for example. Like, Nebula right. still has an arc throughout the course of that movie where, like, she's critical to the plot, but there's still an arc there. The same, I don't think, really happens for, for Keaton here. Even down to the point where it's like, I think the best summation of Keaton's role is when he drops the Let's Get Nuts line. That's an Easter egg. That is not rooted in anything that is like fundamentally important to the character. That is a line for audience to sit and clap and cheer while they're being fed like pig slop. Like I, I realize that that may sound a little harsh, but like that's to me, that's what that scene feels like, right? Mm-hmm. That is inherently right. trading on nostalgia that you have from this movie that is then shoehorned. You know, from you're training in nostalgia from another movie that is then shoehorned and fed to you in this movie because you saw the thing that you liked in 2000 or in, in 1989, and that's the whole reason right. for it. So, right, I just don't think when you're when you're doing things like that, that's a fundamental script issue. That it, it just it doesn't make these characters feel like well-rounded characters. They're just glorified extended cameos at this point. Right. Um, and, and I think even the five minutes that Affleck is there, we get more sort of like an arc for for Affleck than we do in there. Like hmm. Affleck very clearly comes in and he's at a point where he's like he's like, you can't go back. Like you you have to these things are what make us who we are. Like there is more of a completeness there that I just don't feel like his Keaton is there. And then I think we can kind of get into spoilers here. And then they kill him. And they make it so <laughs> it's like dude, not, not only it's like they're they're just like nothing and there's nothing you can do to stop him from dying. Like it's just And like the same happen. with Sasha Kale. Same with Sasha Kale. And it's just like, then why are they even here? If the whole right. point is that these characters are destined to die, then why am why should I care about them as an audience member? Why should I be invested in them and that? And right. then, to add insult to injury, you have one of the most ghoulish uses of CGI I have ever seen in my entire life. It is worse than the Peter Cushing in Rogue One. Mm. Bringing Christopher Reeve back as Superman in this movie is downright like... Like a, it, I just found it so unbelievably offensive that like I I just like I could not believe that anybody at Warner Brothers thought that that was a good idea. Like I I just like I that is every single Superman performance that has come since the release of those first four super movies Superman movies lives in the shadow of that Christopher Reeve performance. And to bring him back in CGI, on the one hand, I get it. Like, it's nice to have that moment to see a man fly again, right? But it is just like, I, ghoulish is the only way that I can describe it. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was right. absolutely tasteless. Um, you know, the the Nicolas Cage thing is like kind of cool. I wrote a piece for GQ about it. Like, it's nice in the same way as the Donald Glover cameo in Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice to see kind of a closure on that loop. But right. I, I really have like a fundamental ethical problem with the Christopher Reeve Superman showing up in this movie. I hated that. Yeah, and Adam West also shows up, but because he's in the mask, it's not the same as Christopher Reeve where you're looking at his face and it's almost like dead eyes. And it felt weird when I was watching it. Like there was part of me that 
was i think the the target audience like okay yeah it's christopher reeve like you said you're seeing a man who could fly and that movie means so much to me um growing up it was one of the cornerstones of my superhero-ness and so just seeing him and supergirl next to each other oh great i love those characters but then when i'm looking at the cg of it and i don't know if a more realistic version would have made me like it more but it's it goes back to the same the issue that i had with the baby scene the babies look like dolls they didn't look realistic to me and so yeah. it kind of takes you out of the moment it was the same thing with the christopher reeve and all of the the other universes they i just, just don't understand why like... those couldn't be just like archival footage like the adam mm -hmm. west one looks semi-archival and i think that is maybe why i was like slightly more okay with that but it's like why you know and i know that some of the cw shows have done that right they've just used archival footage and maybe they want to find a way to differentiate differentiate themselves from it but it's like why why can't we just use archival footage here? Like I think that would be perfectly right. fine to sort of like have a way to set those sequences in the kind of like speed coliseum if we want to call it that, right? Like right, right. The, the 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 quantum coliseum. I'm trying to come mm -hmm. up with cool names for this because they don't even really <laughs> kind of name it in the movie. Anyway. Right. Um right. why you couldn't just like find a way to have still have those kind of like very clearly crisis on infinite earths inspired planetoids right but they even look the way that the tiles are they look like film strips so it's like why couldn't you just like find right, a way to right. kind of like pan and zoom into those and just have it be archival i right. i would love for somebody to kind of ask Andy machete about why he wanted to kind of render it in that way but i would have been so much happier with the use of archival but to to your point the the dead eye behind that Christopher Reeve is just that that is such a good representation of why that is such a bad decision <laughs> I think he, he, it's just it, it just fundamentally does not work and then I think and like like you said it's very Peter Cushing Rogue One elements of it like you're the that you can tell it's Uncanny Valley. Like it, it, right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you can tell it's not of this world, and I get that Superman is quite literally an alien, right? But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> that is an actor who, like, has defined this role for me and thousands of other, millions of other people around the world for decades upon decades. Like, you can't just, and this ties in, I think, to where I want to go with the ending. It's like, by invoking that, you are then putting your movie on a pedestal with this other thing, and you have to be able mm. to put up or shut up with that. And if you're going to sort of invoke those things, and then, and the, we're in full-on spoilers at this point, but, like, it's so frustrating to me as if I had been enjoying this movie, the way that I read the ending with... Clooney's Batman showing up instead of Ben Affleck's version is you're basically saying to me between that and the combination of the ending between Barry, the post credit scene, mm -hmm. my reading of that, and I'm curious if you feel the same way, is that Barry is now in the Batman and Robin universe, and that's how you're going to end this movie. That's how you're going to end all of this era of Snyderverse is that basically making this movie end on a punchline in a reference to what is easily one of the worst, if not the worst superhero movie of all time. That's how this movie ends. That's how the movie that David Zaslav, who's the head of Warner Brothers, claimed is the best comic book movie of all time. You decide to end by basically saying, oh, no, now we're trapped in the universe of the worst superhero movie of all time. That just feels <laughs> like that just feels like you are taking you're just like 
poking somebody in the eye at that point. Mm. I would be so frustrated if I was anybody legitimately involved in this movie that actually, like, if I was, if I was Sasha Kale, if I was Michael Keaton, if I was Ezra Miller, minus all the stuff that happened, I would be so frustrated that's how my mm. movie ended. Mm. I, I find that so insulting to the work that's come before that it's like, how can you, for, for I, yeah, I just, I find it like, <laughs> <laughs> extremely insulting like any goodwill that you necessarily could have had from this movie immediately goes away when you make a decision like that and i could be reading that sequence wrong right but to me yeah if that's how you end your snyderverse is by basically putting these two things in the same bucket like i i just that just shows that you have no respect for your audience in any way shape or form and in some ways like i should maybe kind of respect that but at the same time it's just like it's such an utterly bizarre choice it's such a bizarre choice. Yeah. I didn't take that away from it, but that is a great uh, interpretation. I, I love, I hadn't heard that and I hadn't thought about it like that. The way that I took it was the same way that he had altered the, like they talked about the crux, you know, of both forward and backwards, the same way he had altered the timeline uh, with his initial change, his second change of moving the tomato can up, altered it again and then they were in a new time stream where george clooney and and again i thought this was just a reference to the audience i didn't think that they actually went to that universe i thought it was just a shout out the same way mike it, i don't think when we when he changed the timeline we were to believe that we were in the tim burton universe at that point because it was that batman and in the future, I think it was just supposed to be a reference and a nod to the audience. Like, hey, you knew George Clooney, just like with the Nicolas Cage thing. Like, you knew about that, right? And that, and and it's like that side wink to the audience. That's how yeah, I but, took it. But even then, I still think that's a fundament, fundamental issue of the script is that, like, we're not exactly sure. Are we supposed to be in kind of like a newly created universe that is kind of right. like – remixing right like you're, you're right. taking a sample from one place and a sample from another place and folding it together and bringing in this new thing right to me my reading of it is that when we when barry goes back we are officially in the keaton universe and that is why michael keaton is there when he goes for him, ah, he moves the cans okay. he is now gotcha. in the Clooney universe and so the reason gotcha. why he doesn't want to go back and set things right to be then with ben affleck again is because that is in a world where he doesn't get to be with his dad so that's why they're mm. reading to me when he's having that conversation with Arthur is that he's talking to that the Clooney universe's version of Arthur because he's like yeah I was wherever you wherever, about that. wherever you are and again this is just my reading of it I don't think the movie makes it explicitly clear where it's supposed to be because I think this movie was right so the Hollywood Reporter just put up a piece that this is that Clooney ending was the third ending they had for this movie the one that they were planning on going with right up until I think Peter Safran and James Gunn took over is that at the very end on the court steps, it was going to be Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, Sasha Kale, and Michael Keaton were all going to show up. And that was going to be your, basically your new justice league moving forward is that Barry was going oh, wow. to, his decision had somehow folded in doing that. He was able to save Keaton and Sasha Kale, but also merged it with the Snyderverse and that was going to be your new Justice League moving forward that gets Affleck out of the way, but allows Keaton to be kind of like a Nick Fury-like figure who's mm. maybe kind of like running the Justice League. So you get your Batman, and maybe he's in the field. I don't know. But that ending was then scrapped in favor of this Clooney ending. 
but because of that, they don't make it. Ex that's the biggest thing is there's it's never made explicitly clear where we're supposed to be, which I think is also a problem if you're trying to get audiences yes. to invest, really, truly invest in the multiversal aspect of this is like we kind of need to know where we are with these things. Like even Multiverse right. of Madness made, made it very, 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 very clear. We are in the paint universe. We're in this universe where like red is go and green is stop. Like it, it made it very, very explicitly clear that like this is separate and apart from where we are currently, even when he goes to the um, kind of like destroyed um, version of the Sanctum Centaurum, like that is made very clear that that is a separate universe from whatever we are supposed to be in. Flash doesn't have that level of groundedness. And when you're doing a multiversal story, like you have to know kind of like where you are with these things. I, can't, I don't think they can be this nebulous, but I think the ending with Aquaman is meant to be that because Barry says, you're the same wherever I go. You were big and furry, which is in reference to he was a dog in the in the Keaton verse, and then in his the Affleck universe, he looks just exactly like Jason Momoa. But that conversation they seem to be having to me was Barry meeting this version of Arthur for the first time because he says I live here, like he's talking. So it, to me, the way that Momoa plays that is kind of like they're having kind of that discussion for the first time, right? But there's right. no clarity. There's no definitive clarity one way or another. Right. So I, I have to kind of try and interpret that. that. They don't. It's very confusing. So that was my interpretation of it, and that the reason why Barry is okay to live in the Clooneyverse now is because that's the world where he gets his dad, and so right. he's willing to swap Affleck for Clooney because he gets because it's still Batman. He's still in a place where there are metahumans. They're just not. They're different from kind of how they are. Right. But Iris and, is still the same for some reason, which also doesn't make sense. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> right. And I wish they would have made it more clear because even that interpretation and that reading of it, if they had made that expressly clear to me, that would have been like, OK, that ties a bow on the Snyderverse. You know, like you said, Aquaman 2 still pending, but that ties a bow. We don't need to worry about that anymore. This one, the way that I felt leaving the theater was like, OK, I know. As a as a viewer, I know that this is not going to continue. But if I was just watching this, I wouldn't know if, if is the Snyderverse continuing? What's going on? Where are we at after this? It just leaves you kind of in a weird situation. And I didn't even think the joke was that funny. Um, like normally with, you know, with it's the shawarma scene. Um, there's a, a funny scene at the end of the credits and it it's not necessarily setting up anything, but you have a good laugh. Okay. I didn't even think the joke was that funny uh, yeah. of him falling, you know, in the water. Oh, I'm home. And then it just ends. My wife was like, that was it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that was it. I think this was my, the most disappointing post credit scene I've seen in any superhero movie. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just, the, the circumstances of this film, that's why I think it's so interesting to talk about this is like, what if this had come out and what if the Snyderverse was continuing? And now we know what's happening with the James Gunn universe, all of this stuff in the background playing into it. And then you throw in the Ezra Miller aspect and not being part of marketing and promotion and then showing up on the red carpet. And it was like, there's just so many weird things about this movie. And the fact that this movie is two and a half hours long was it's insane. very there's no reason strange. For this, no reason for this movie to be so long as that is like, yeah. And yeah, I, I, to, I do think that this is, 
I, I do think that the way that the ending and the post credits are structured is that this is meant to be the end of the Snyderverse. When you combine that with some of the comments that James Gunn has since made, he was on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast and mentioned that Blue Beetle is the first DCU character in that Superman legacy is the first sort of like soup to nuts entirely constructed for this DCE or DCU movie. So to me, there's the, to me that says, and that the based upon the ending that Peter Safran and James Gunn helped construct, which was this Clooney ending uh, per the Hollywood Reporter story, that this is that is the end of the Snyderverse. That is that is truly it is done. Flash marks the end of it. You know, we will we'll kind of see where Aquaman kind of fits into that piece. But like, what's coming separate from Aquaman? Like, Blue Beetle is the first official like DCU character. And then that movie has maybe been engineered in a way where it's like, kind of like Iron Man, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not going to say that it doesn't matter, but I would not expect that movie to have overt ties to, you know, there's the line in the trailer where where George Lopez says that he says Batman's a fascist, right? I don't think that's meant to be Ben Affleck's Batman. I think that's Mm -hmm. meant to be just a Batman, and they can kind of determine who that, whoever that Batman's going to be when Andy Machete does Brave and the Bold, right? So... Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be vague and opaque enough that they can kind of grandfather that into whatever this new DCU is going to be and then just let Aquaman come out. But that's the thing is like if you're having these movies come out that like like Black Adam, like Shazam, like Aquaman, like Flash, why are we as an audience member supposed to be invested in any of these movies if they don't matter? And right. I think that is – part of the reason why we're not seeing Flash do super well at the box office combined with the fact that I don't think it's been reviewed very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's like I said, just unfortunate the timing and the, the way that this all played out. There's another universe where this was a fantastic movie and it was everything that we had been promised by James Gunn, Stephen King, Tom Cruise. It was this amazing movie. Um, but yeah, I, the I critics just, that saw it at CinemaCon and said it was great. Yeah. I, and to your point, I left the theater thinking the same thing uh, when I saw your tweet after you saw the film. It was kind of like, what were they what were all of those people smoking? Like when they saw this movie, you would have thought it was the greatest movie of all time. And it just was not that. So I don't know what their version of the film couldn't have been that different. Like we, we know that the ending didn't have the Clooney ending. So they the, the, the CinemaCon version apparently cut when you see Clooney's shoes, and it ends mm-hmm. with Barry saying "What the fuck," and that is where it ends. Uh, from what I understand, per that Hollywood Reporter article that wrote, um, it, it's up now. Borskit, who who does a lot of their franchise reporting, he's a great reporter. Um, he was the one that talked about the story. Um, they filmed that as recently as like February, March, April period. So like very recently, in fact, hold on, let me, I have my computer up here. I was looking at this story earlier. I, I yeah, that makes to, sense. I'm going to push in here slightly. <laughs> Sorry, forget. Yeah. So yeah. was filmed six months ago. Sorry. So this was, um, yeah. So this is one of three different endings. Uh, the first one, the uh, flashes. It was originally conceived and shot ended on the courthouse steps with Supergirl played by Sasha Kale and Batman played by Michael Keaton, who was featured throughout the movie as a returned Batman. 
was meant to highlight that Barry did not reset the timeline as he thought mm. he did. It was an ending that <laughs> was screen tested several times and that reversed the deaths of Batman and Supergirl earlier in the film. Uh, however, that movie got caught in the lightning storm that was Discovery's acquisition of in 2022. Uh, a new ending was conceived. This version was still on the courthouse steps, but now Kill Supergirl was joined by Superman, played by Henry Cavill, Wonder Woman, played by Gal Gadot. Keaton also remained. Supergirl was retained even because the executives uh, were killing the development of a standalone Supergirl movie. They were open to her returning in some form and didn't want the last images audience ever saw of her to be the death at the hands of a supervillain. Meanwhile, the studio was still developing a third installment of Wonder Woman with filmmaker Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. This was a nice way to keep Wonder Woman in the cultural conversation. The ending was shot in September of last year, involving Miller, Cavill, and Gadot, as well as Gail. Um, so yeah, uh, a shoot was quickly assembled, and on a January morning on the Warner's lot, Coney was there as Wayne back for the first time in 26 years. Also on set was Miller making their first appearance on the lot since the fateful day in August where they met with um, Warner Brothers executives to discuss their behavior, including multiple rests and steps forward. So that Man. is where that is how yeah, that comes together. I would have preferred either one of those endings. And like you said, it would have almost made it matter that Sasha Kale and Michael Keane were in the movie because if you're just going to kill them, what was the point? At least if they're alive at the ending, we can say, hey, there was some – reason for them to be here because well, they the should be in is, service of the point but, is to give new the younger version of Barry motivation I think to try and continue to try and change the time stream right that's the reason why he ends up becoming Dark Flash is because he rejects the notion that he can't try and save everybody right but again that dovetails with the Ezra Miller performance which if you don't buy into that performance then you don't buy into the emotional investment of new Barry trying to go back through and fix that but even if you do, I still don't think there's enough there there for Keaton or Kale to really buy into Barry's decision that he is willing to, like, subject himself into turning into a villain to try and <laughs> save them. Right? Like, right. Right. So. Yeah. Man. Anyway, there's, I don't, you know, so again, I, I would really love to. Yeah, exactly. I would really love to hear an opinion of somebody that thinks this is truly the best superhero movie of all time. I think you and I are slightly closer aligned. I think you enjoyed it maybe slightly more than I did. You know, I on Letterboxd, I gave this a one star. It sounds like you're maybe closer oh, wow. to a two or a three. Yeah, like, again, I, I like I, two and a half. I, I again, I, I just like I found this movie almost like more insulting to me than Black Adam and Shazam 2. Like at Ooh. least Shazam 2 had some Fury of the Gods had still some of that when the family core stuff from the first movie mm -hmm. was still present. Mm -hmm. I really liked that. I really actually liked Rachel Zegler's performance. I liked some of the performances in that movie. Can't say I love Zachary Levi's performance in the second one. Black Adam, I really liked the um, what it has to talk about oppression and, and what happens to people when they feel like they have you know the foot of mm. oppression kind of pushed down on them for too long, and what happens when they have somebody that can finally stand up for them. I thought it was was an interesting idea that just doesn't quite get all the way there, and then it's surrounded by a movie whose tone I can't quite figure out. Like when Pain of Black plays as he's killing all these soldiers, is that supposed to be tongue in cheek? Is that supposed to <laughs> right, be like a serious, right. like badass moment? Like I couldn't quite figure that out. This movie, I think is just like, uh, just, a, a it just fundamentally does not work for me really in any capacity. So um, that's where I would say, but yeah, I would love to have yeah. a conversation with somebody who thinks that this is a five star movie because I would love to know what version of the movie they saw because that was certainly not the one that that I watched. Right. For two and a half Man. hours. Man. 
Yeah, that's another thing. It just felt overstuffed. The CG just feels undercooked. There's just a lot of stuff that I wish was better about this film. And I also wish it was more clear of what we have moving forward. Because after this, it doesn't appear like this is going to get any type of uh, transition over to the new gun universe. I want to see what's going to happen with Flash. Are they going to do Wally West? That seems like the better move. I think than Flash to is going over to, to lie dormant for a little bit. I think it might be, mm. would be my guess. Also, can you tell me who killed Nora Allen? Because the movie <laughs> certainly doesn't tell you who it is. I know who it is because I know who it is from Flashpoint, but the movie certainly doesn't seem interested in letting you know who that is, presumably because they were going to put it in a sequel. But you would think that, I don't know, they might actually go through and provide an answer to that because that is a pretty significant plot hole to just leave like not answered in any significant yeah. way. So I, anyway, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave you in the audience <laughs> watching this to, to ponder that question. Yeah, but definitely... I'm also curious if there's any of, of those uh, fans out there that Mr. Gooden was alluding to, leave a comment down below. Let us know um, if you thought The Flash was the greatest film of all time or if you kind of agree with our takes. Let us know. I'm interested, and I don't think I'm done talking about The Flash. I've, I'm still very interested to see. Um, to, I've, I've got some more thoughts. But I want to thank Mr. Goodman for joining me today. As I've always said, every time he joins me, it's always a fantastic talk. He's one of the most articulate and uh, and fantastic guests that I've ever had on the show. So I'm always happy when you're able to join us, my friend. And anytime I see the uh, headline by William Goodman, I always click on it. I always make sure that I'm spreading the love because I love all of the stuff that you're putting out, Mr. Goodman. Thank you very much for joining me today in the Vactiverse. A pleasure and a privilege as always. Uh, maybe the next time we talk. I feel like the, the last couple of like um, uh, like shows or movies that we, we've spoken about, I came on and, and talked about how much I didn't like She-Hulk. I've now come on and talk, <laughs> spoke about how much I didn't like The Flash. Perhaps if Blue Beetle comes out, or when Blue Beetle comes out and I enjoy that film, I can maybe come back and talk about that. Yeah, but uh, yeah. we, we'll, we'll have to find out in August when that movie releases. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm very happy that you were able to join me, like I said. And uh, despite what Mr. Goodman has said here today, he loves comics, and you should too. <laughs> <laughs>